This is Bill Nye, uh, the planetary guy, and you're listening to Space, but, but messier. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Space But Messier podcast. I'm Tony. And I'm Flo. And we are so happy to be back. Uh, we did take a week off to enjoy uh, the resurrection. Happy Easter mm-hmm. to everyone. Happy Easter. Uh, Flo, how was your break? It was nice. I missed it, though. It felt weird not knowing the, the current events and talking about everything. I have to be honest with you. It wasn't only Easter. Flo and I both got really, really sick. Really gnarly. And we couldn't even record. Um, we were pretty much bedridden. So we are here now, and we are so excited to be back. Guys, we have a crazy episode for you. You're probably <laughs> wondering what that intro was all about. Not fake. Actually real. That was Bill Nye, the science guy. Well... <laughs> He's now Bill Nye the Planetary Guy mm-hmm. because he is CEO of the Planetary Society. But last night, we had the craziest night. Well, maybe not. Was it the craziest night of your life? I was stoked. Maybe not the craziest night of my life, but oh, here we go. The craziest night of my space career. Wow. There we go. Very well put. Mm-hmm. I agree. So on Saturday night, Flo and I attended Yuri's Night LA. And for those of you who have not heard of Yuri's Night, it's a celebration of Yuri Gagarin, the first man in space and cities around the world. I think there were over 125 cities that had their own Yuri's Night just to celebrate um, putting humankind into space. And it was so fun. It was so much fun. If you were checking out our Instagram story, um, it was all over there. There was it was in the California Science Center in Los Angeles. Yes. So we got to be under the giant freaking space shuttle. Yeah, space shuttle Endeavor was actually in this hangar type room, suspended, I don't know, fifteen feet in the air, and they had a dance floor underneath it, all these crazy lights. One of the DJs was a guy from Black Eyed Peas, mm-hmm. I think, and they had um well, it was of course space vendors, space industry event, and we had talks and presentations, and then at ten o'clock they turned it all into a huge dance party. Yeah, and you could go back into the actual full-on science center. And in the aquarium, there was a silent disco people had on a these. silent headphones. disco. <laughs> so if you've never heard of a silent disco, every single person has on headphones that are listening to the exact same music, right? But there's no music going over speakers. So if you're not wearing a headset, it's just completely silent and people are dancing. We walked in and we're so, so confused. <laughs> people were in there just having the best time singing along. We had no idea what they were doing. It um, was hilarious. And then we realized what was happening. Yeah. And we were rushing out of there because we were exhausted because we had gotten so many awesome interviews. Including Bill Nye himself. We have to say, stay tuned because we got an awesome interview with Bill Nye. Mm-hmm. Um, Bill, uh, thank you so much for doing that if you were listening. And I have to tell all of you, he was really nice. He was he, really kind. He was yeah. so kind to us. We um, asked him if we can ask him a couple questions. And he was so willing, especially since he heard that we hosted an uh, educational podcast. And he is all about educating um, the general population. So stay tuned. That'll be at the end of the episode. Um, but we do have some news for you today, and of course we teased you, we've been teasing you forever that people in France or something may die because the spaceship is going <laughs> to fall on their head. Um, the spaceship has fallen. The heavenly palace has come down from the heavens. And 
Great news. No fatalities. Nobody died. It splashed <laughs> down in the ocean, and most of it actually burned up in the atmosphere, and nobody died. Mm-mm. Thank you, Heavenly Palace. We had to tell you that. We actually waited to record the podcast to hear the news, and we missed it, and then both got really, really sick. Mm-hmm. So uh, we apologize for that, but... You can expect weekly episodes from us. We've been kind of testing out days. Um, You can expect them every Monday from now on. And we are so excited. Start your week off with us. Yeah. And lastly, the coolest thing, well, the coolest thing to my wife who grew up listening to or watching Star Trek is that we ran into Robert Picardo, who, for those of you who haven't seen Star Trek Voyager, he played the doctor. And we ran into him. And because he's now so involved with the Planetary Society, We walked up to him and said, Robert, we are huge fans and we're members of the Planetary Society. And before we could even tell him about (laughs) our podcast, yeah, he grabbed his phone and was like, oh man, I got to take a picture with you and then we're going to tweet it. So if you guys look at Robert Picardo's Twitter or even ours, you'll see a picture of us with him. Looking very starstruck. (laughs) Looking very starstruck with the uh, shuttle behind us. It was so surreal. It was awesome. He was also incredibly kind. So friendly. Yeah, he was. Everyone last night was just... I like space people. Yeah. So if you guys have a Yuri's Night uh, near your city, go ahead and go to look up Yuri's Night on Google. Check it out for next year. It was absolutely a blast. And, okay, so not only is it, like, educational and you get to, like, there's really cool people. There's a bunch of ambassadors that are from the space industry. um, And you get to see and learn. And you get the dance parties, but also it is a real night for fashion and for space (laughs) outfits. It was crazy. Some people were dressed up in like the most intricate. We got a couple of them. So keep your eyes peeled on the Instagram because some people looked so cool. I have to give a shout out. There was a couple there. One of the the women was dressed as the Tesla Roadster. She had the car around her. And then the man was dressed as Planet Earth. He had a picture of Planet Earth. So it was Starman orbiting the Earth. It was absolutely hilarious. Yeah, check out our Instagram. We'll post them all today um, for you guys to see. But we do want to tell you, we got to speak to a lot of really awesome people that were there. And this episode is filled with those conversations. Guys, people in the space industry are doing insane things, mm-hmm. and uh, we want to share it all with you. Mm-hmm. And are you ready to kick it off? I am. Let's go. Oh my go. gosh. We're going to start with one of the people that we have talked about a couple times. It is not Elon Musk, but welcome again to the SpaceX podcast. Here we are. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, we have talked about him uh, once or twice. Remember when SpaceX launched the Tesla Roadster, uh, the one that the woman was dressed as? Uh, Which in- there was also one outside of the... Yes. We oh, saw one. Yeah, there the was an actual one. Tesla Roadster. It was good looking, too. It was too. really nice. It's tiny. It's cute. It was. <laughs> I really want one. <laughs> <laughs> Tell Jenna. Oh, I do. She knows. Every time a Tesla <laughs> drives by. Um, so inside the Roadster, SpaceX launched... Uh, these drives made of quartz crystal they're like tiny little cds that held isaac asimov's foundation trilogy now of course when we heard that news i read the trilogy immediately and it was so so good i don't know if i've had the chance to tell you on a podcast the last sentence of the last book had me absolutely jaw dropped so if you haven't read them do yourself a favor Flow. It was insane. Really? Yeah. Dang. I got home. I was listening to it uh, as an audiobook, and I had 20 minutes left in the book, and I just parked and listened <laughs> alone in my car, and it was fantastic. <laughs> All right. I'll check it out then. Yes. Um, but we had the opportunity to meet the man responsible for sending these books into space. His name was Nova Spivak, and we had that chance to ask him, why did he do it? 
Um, well, first of all, it's quartz because it lasts a very long time. Um, it lasts about 14 billion years, in fact. So that's pretty good. That's the age of the universe. So I figure that's long enough. Um, and then the reason we chose the Isaac Asimov Foundation trilogy, uh, two reasons actually. One, because we happen to know that Elon really likes those books. And secondly, um, because the story is about an organization that's archiving civilization uh, in order to prevent a dark age. Encyclopedia Galactica. Encyclopedia Galactica, which is exactly what we are doing. Awesome. So it was very self-referential. Of course. That's right. So just like the book, when they were compiling all of the knowledge of humanity and creating Encyclopedia Galactica, this man was responsible for doing the same thing for our knowledge. So freaking cool. I love how casual he is. Or he's like, yeah, that's good enough. What, 14 million years? 14 billion yeah, years? For, yeah, that's why be, we chose quartz. That'll that's be good enough. Quartz. No worries. <laughs> so after that, we asked him, is this it? Like, is this all we get to hear from you? Just one Encyclopedia Galactica sent to the asteroid belt. And we got a pretty cool response. We got our first actual Space But Messier exclusive. Not serious Black this time. No, a real... He said he just leaned in. Well, check it out. We, we will be announcing something soon. Okay. You're hearing it here first. We have a moon landing coming. Oh, awesome. And we're going to be landing a lot more stuff. A lot more stuff. Very cool. Well, awesome. So stay tuned. So cool. That is so awesome. <laughs> They're doing a moon landing. They're no doubt going to send one of these libraries to the moon. Gosh. I can't wait to see what they put on it. It's going to be something good. Yeah, maybe he'll put... No, they've already done the trilogy. I don't know. Do we have... I don't know. It's going to be I'm, so It's going to be cool. so good. As soon as he said, you guys are the first ones hearing this, we both just leaned in. We were like, what It's not serious, Black. No. It's the real thing this time. It was so cool. Moon landing for SpaceX. They're really taking over. They really are. <laughs> and I'm reading um, Elon Musk's biography right now. Guys, if you haven't read this one too, this oh. one's really good. The man is brilliant. Uh, and here. actually Tony Stark. He is actually Tony oh, Stark. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is crazy. So, of course, we've called Elon Musk Tony Stark on this podcast before. But when Robert Downey Jr. was filming for Iron Man, he actually went to SpaceX headquarters in Hawthorne, um, took a look around, and wanted to model his workshop in the movie after this workshop. And so he literally made the parallel between him and Elon Musk that we've been making, and it made me really, really happy. Had to share it with you guys. It's a real thing. And if you look in the movie Iron Man, he has a Tesla Roadster right there in his workshop. So cool. Um, but this man that was responsible for putting these things in space, he wasn't the only one we met. Next table over, we actually ran into um, some familiar faces. I used to be part of Orange County Astronomers, uh, which is this organization that puts on really cool events to educate the community about uh, astronomy and stars and looking up and using telescopes and so many other things. And I ran into Liam Kennedy. And what he's done is he's created this device called ISS Above and has created a way for you to track the International Space Station and watch the live feed of planet Earth as it flies over you. Check this out. I'm Liam Kennedy. Uh, I used to be the president of Orange County Astronomers like a dozen years ago, maybe even longer. But what I've now, what I created was a product called ISS Above. And during my time doing things with Orange County Astronomers, if you're involved with them, you know they do a lot of outreach. Yeah, they do. And one of the biggest things that would happen at an outreach, apart from pointing telescopes at the sky, is when the space station would be passing by. Right. And it was a consistent thing that the public often were surprised. Right. 
that that was what was going on. And when you point out that there's a little dot in the sky that's passing by, yeah, and that it's the only place in space where human beings are living, it just blows people's minds. So I got on this personal journey started off with my family, just sort of making them aware of the space station passing by when it was visible. But here's the thing that is often missed, even by people who really know that you can see the space station three or four times a month in the night sky or in the morning sky, is that the space station passes you by five to eight times every day. Every day. So, and my mission is to have that fact be known. And this is why I say it's, it, it actually makes a difference when people really get that we have human beings in space and they're not just somewhere in space, they're above you in space. Right. They're above you at 9 a.m. in the morning, at you know, 11.30. In fact, here on this night, at Yuri's night, right. they're passing us by three times between 7 p.m. and midnight. Any five-star visibility? So <laughs> there are no five-star <laughs> visibilities Firstly, it's cloudy, right. but secondly, the, 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 the closest pass is at 9.42 p.m.-ish, and it'll be 50 degrees high in the sky. Okay. But, you know, really, so I know everyone wants to see if they know that you can see it. That's an important thing. I say just knowing that they're above, and, and this environment is about celebrating human achievement. I say it's one of the things that when we're in space, when, we're, when we project ourselves in space, we become better human beings everywhere. Oh, yeah. So, so I built a little device to be me. Because, <laughs> you know, I'm just me where I am, and I could only impact so many people. So I created this little device called the ISS Above, which is a Raspberry Pi-based computer. So it's a single-board computer. I did a Kickstarter for it back in uh, 2014. And uh, now there's two and a half thousand of these around the world. They're in hundreds of schools. And in fact, this is one of the schools that is at. <laughs> that is so good. I love what he said about um, when we project ourselves into space, it makes us great. Yeah, it makes us better humans. And this guy, I've met him a couple times. I met him at Yuri's Night two years ago and at the Orange County Astronomers meeting. Um, and him and his wife are so, so kind. They're so nice. And um, if you're out there, um, hello guys. It was great seeing you again. So Liam and his wife have actually sent these devices to schools all around the world so that students at a young age can learn about the wonder and awe of our current adventures in space. And it was crazy. In this moment, we actually ran into a woman that's responsible for bringing the ISS above to her classrooms. Check it out. I have one at my school. My colleague does. I'm a science specialist. Okay. No, I have two of them because I have two schools. So I affect 800 kids, and the other lab has another 550 kids. So three of them, and we have kids so hooked on space. And then I got to, um, NASA training last summer and got to borrow the lunar samples for two weeks. So 1,300 kids got to hold the moon rocks in the last two weeks. And it all started with this. This takes me back to that one episode where we were talking about why space is so important and space education is so important. And it just makes me realize that kids love this stuff. And I'm thinking specifically about my sister. She's a kindergarten teacher. And any time that she brings this kind of science um, into the classroom, the kids are overwhelmed with excitement and they ask about it all the time. And so having this technology available to our kids and the fact that he invented it and we got to run into someone who was experiencing it and living it 
is so exciting. It was so crazy, and it makes me jealous. I wish that I got to touch moon rocks when I, I was know. young, but I don't know. It wasn't until after school that I realized how awesome this was, so I don't know how that would have turned out. But people are doing really good things by educating the youth in our world, and gosh, it's so, so exciting. And so if this is something that you maybe work in the education field, or you just want to send to your kids' teachers <laughs> to have them figure it out, um, go ahead and go to www.com. No. <laughs> Don't go there. You're not going to find anything. <laughs> go ahead and go to www.issabove.com, and you can figure out how to purchase one and get help and what it is and all the models and stuff. Go ahead and check them out there. Yes, um, and so many of these classrooms have them just live streaming on the TVs if the classrooms have live TVs, so um, check it out. But while we were there, Liam also got the opportunity to ask a really interesting question. So I'm curious, so can you, what was one of the things that one of your students sort of got from having the ISS above in the classroom yeah. that maybe surprised them or surprised um, you about how they were about it? interest, and so they're always asking about the astronauts, so I point out who's on board and how did they get into NASA, and you could do that. For example, Scott Kelly was considers himself to have been undiagnosed ADHD and that that's, that catches a lot of kids like whoa that's me or he wasn't that great of a student whoa that's me and uh, Clay Anderson he's just hyper and he wrote a children's book and if they see that book I met the guy who met him whoa cool she knows you know connections so the cool thing is having it on and talk about astronauts and they were doing a flyover of Tahoe and the fourth graders got to see Lake Tahoe go across the screen. It's like, whoa, that's us! Yeah. That, that's, a, that's a critical aspect of this. Yeah, totally. You know, part of it is me letting people know when the space station's passing by. That's a critical part. But uh, the other part is that this streams live video from cameras on the space station, Earth-facing cameras. So it, those cameras are operational 24 hours a day, but only giving something useful when it's in daylight. So when it comes over the school at 9 a.m. or at 11 a.m., you can't see it. But the live video feed is showing you. Right. So then it's it really is, for me, that's why I did it, was to have students really get, oh, these people, they're not just hanging out somewhere. They're above the school in space, and, and here's the proof. Students come back in my room, a third grader. My dad and I went out and saw the space station go over last night. We were coming back from town, and we saw something, looked it up. It was the space station. They're aware now that there's stuff up there that we put there. I missed that part of the interview. Yeah, wasn't that awesome? <laughs> I didn't know that they had the cameras that were facing us, and so the kids get to see themselves. It is so powerful for these kids. Anyway, we're so grateful for uh, Liam and his team and ISS Above. So grateful, in fact because they also let us in on a little secret. I don't know if you heard this no. either. This was at the end of the interview, uh, but check this out. A little secret, maybe we shouldn't let this out, I don't have to <laughs> is that you can literally, if you find someone who is working at NASA on a project and you want to talk to them, they will just pick up the phone. There's actually often directories where you can find the names really? and the phone numbers. So, sorry, people of NASA. I'm just giving the secret away. But no, seriously, they do. I, in my experience, where someone has made that effort to connect, it actually really does make a difference for them. 
I am calling right now. We are definitely <laughs> doing this. We're going to call. All of you scientists at JPL, or actually any NASA headquarters, get ready get for ready a for us. slow call. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, if you're curious, I dare you to look it up. Check yeah. it out. Anything that we're talking about. Gosh, I might call them and ask them about if they know anything about the moon landing stuff. Or what about the moon landing stuff, Flo? I just want to know. <laughs> <laughs> so we were so excited that you could do this that we thought, well, two years ago, there were definitely uh, some NASA scientists here. Mm-hmm. Let's go find another one. And right when we started looking, we literally turned right. And at the next table over, there was a man with a white coat that, that said just... J- JPL um, in red on the front. And we both looked at each other, gave each other the same look. And we are like, it's, it's him. We're going we're gonna to go talk to him. We're going to go talk to him. We were supposed to call him. But anyway, so we found a JPL scientist that was brilliant and clearly so passionate about his work. Um, this man was Robert Salazar. He was standing in front of his table with what looked like saran wrap, space rocks, and lasers. Uh, my name's Robert Salazar. Robert, I'm Tony. Nice to meet you. Tony. Nice to meet you too. So Robert Salazar is a JPL project scientist for the Starlight Project. He's working with a team at UCSB, that's uh, University of California of Santa Barbara, to which he used to be a student at. And Starlight is an extremely similar project to Starshot that project that Stephen Hawking was helping with before he passed away, um, where he would take a 70,000 year journey to the nearest star, Alpha Centauri, and turn it into a 20 year one. Starlight is extremely similar. It'll take 25 years to get there, and it's happening right now. Of course, who all collaborate that are trying to uh, push the boundaries of what we can do towards interstellar travel. And so we're the UCSB group, um, we're also uh, NASA funded under the NIAC study, which is some of NASA's most uh, innovative and advanced concepts. Cool. And so we develop both uh, the laser system that would propel the spacecraft, and then I personally do the design for the sail itself. So I have uh, 18 years of origami design experience, and so I find ways of getting the spacecraft to be extremely lightweight and also to fit in rockets. Whoa! I can get them down to like a quarter of this diameter, but dang! So that noise that you hear, there was like a little crunching noise um, when he says the origami thing. He actually had on the table next to him. Um, he had a, like a short. A circular origami design. And so. It was like a cylinder, like a squatty, like a short wide cylinder, like hollow. the size of a tissue box, maybe? Yeah. And so maybe six inches across. And as he's talking, he kind of drops it out and it expands yeah, it like, like fans 20 out. 20 inches across? Yeah, it comes to like, he, he does it the size of, I don't know, from his waist to his head. And it wasn't even done expanding. This little tiny origami origami object, it was crazy. We were it just <laughs> That's why we were like, whoa, because yeah. it expands super quickly. And then he was like, oh, no, no, I can get it down to the size of a quarter. But he was saying how he uses those origami designs to design spacecrafts. And then here you can see this is a material, not the material that it would be made of, but it's the same thickness. So okay. this is 500 nanometers thick. So it's, it's like almost no mass. Yeah. The whole space, the whole sail has to be one gram. Okay. It's not a lot of mass. The to entire work thing is yeah. one gram. So he let me hold this material, and it was like saran wrap, but it was 100% weightless. I could, it felt like my fingers were numb. I could barely feel it. Um, and this is what the spacecraft was made of. Yeah. And so then we continue to ask him, is this happening now? Is this even possible? Yeah, we're NASA funded. Yeah, once you make it into the NIAC stage, people start looking and they think, this is feasible. Right. You know, for for a long time, people didn't think it was feasible with our modern materials and technology. But the funny thing is, right now, it is. You can actually send something to the stars. In 25 years? 
Well, I don't. I mean well, to say that it would the journey would take that long. That's what I mean. So yeah, yeah, yeah. but this century we could do it. Wow. And that really the only the biggest limitation is uh, the funding for the laser array, which would have to be uh, oh a kilometer by a kilometer. So think of like a solar field, except it's all laser arrays. So not one big laser, which would be impossible right. to manufacture. Death Star. But many <laughs> exactly. Actually, the the same laser ray could also be used for planetary defense. You see, those are oh. small meteorites there, and you can see where they've been melted. And that's from a laser beaming down at them, which will create ejecta, kind of like a comet does, nice. and that will slowly push it off course. Oh. Yeah, it doesn't take a lot to move a long path if you get it ahead of time. So basically, Robert Salazar, the JPL scientist, who it was like talking to a superhero. These guys are so <laughs> cool, and they work so hard. He's basically saying, if we can get to an asteroid soon enough that we know is coming for Earth, and we just bump it a little bit with these lasers, then it will change the trajectory just enough to completely miss Earth. That was cool. Um, but speaking of planetary defense, this may be the moment that you have been waiting for in this podcast. We promise we won't make you wait any longer. There is one more special guest who is kept awake at night because of this topic alone. So an asteroid wouldn't necessarily destroy Earth. We've been talking about this for a couple of weeks now, but civilization and humanity would definitely be ended. This man is Bill Nye. Bill Nye, the science guy. Sorry, Bill. I know Bill, that you're Bill, now Bill, <laughs> Bill Nye, the planetary guy. <laughs> but man, we had the opportunity to speak with Bill. Um, his um, assistants or guards or whatever you want to call them were so kind in allowing us to ask him a few questions. And man, I was a little starstruck, yeah. I have to say. <laughs> Before we get into the actual clip, I want to tell you guys how this actually went. So Bill <laughs> was on stage giving a little bit of a talk, um, and they shuffled him off into the VIP section, which is in the exact same room. And the VIP section is just roped off, you know? And we, we did, had... We did have VIP tickets, though, so we were in the section. Yeah, so we had our VIP passes. So as soon as we see him get off stage, I just see Tony book it. And he is right behind him. Um, and then there's this crowd around him in the VIP area. And Tony's wife starts pushing him closer and closer and <laughs> closer. My pregnant wife <laughs> starts pushing me through a crowd. Because no one's going to push her back. And so we went off for a couple minutes to go get pork sliders. They were good. And we come back and Tony is like one person away. And we're like, oh my gosh, he's actually going to Wait, you got pork that. sliders that time? We did, remember? Okay, so at nine o'clock, <laughs> they were starting food, but there was only three trays of food for like thousands of people. So I put the pregnant girl right in front of it. <laughs> and they were very kind and gave it to us right away. Um, Jenna was very necessary to make this happen. She really was so helpful. Gosh, Jenna. Um, so, so when we were there, yeah, I, when we when I was waiting right there um, by Bill Nye, there were two camera crews that really wanted an interview. Mm -hmm. And we know from persistence that, of course, you, you can um, get what you want. But to be totally honest, I didn't even, when I was up there, I didn't want to bother him. We're, we're up there and all of these fans are crowding around him. He's literally just putting on his headphones looking at the stage he's trying to enjoy the show and people are just bombarding him yelling mm. bill nye the science guy asking for a picture pushing us in the back to try and get above and um, i mean i didn't say anything yet it was really didn't feel like my place but i felt bad this he was exhausted it was mm -hmm. late night so i leaned over to his assistant and i said hey we're here with space but mess your podcast and i'd love to ask him a few questions and he said oh well tell me about your podcast and i said well we're an educational podcast, and we'd really love to hear Bill's take on um, a lot of the topics that he's really passionate about. And so he said, you know what? Just 
stick with us for a little bit. <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh, this is insane. So uh, they shuffled him over to a photo booth where he did a bit of a photo op with some stormtroopers. That was pretty rad. Really cool. And then they booked him, like without even telling me, they just booked it to the back room. And I stuck to them like glue. We got in, they closed the door right behind me. And there we were. It was just me and Bill Nye and his team and my wife and Flo and Matt, um, mm-hmm. who came along as well. And there we were. And normally I know when podcasts do interviews, they don't tell you all this stuff. But to be completely honest, it was really difficult. And we had a blast doing it. And speaking to Bill and I was awesome. And so back to the asteroids we is what we wanted to prompt him with. Because for those of you who have listened to Bill and I before, this keeps him up at night. Um, this uh, asteroid that can destroy humanity. So we asked him, what can we as citizens do to help this initiative? One of protecting planet Earth. You guys, here is our exclusive Bill Nye interview. We hope you like it. Of course, join the Planetary Society. Of course. We go to U.S. Congress, uh, especially, and uh, get them interested in funding. Two, there's two big problems. First, you have to find these asteroids. It's quite difficult. As the hilarious joke goes, it's like looking for charcoal briquette in the dark. They're very difficult to see with visible light. However, you can see them with infrared light, and so what you want is spacecraft closer to the sun than the Earth in so-called inferior orbit looking out. And so we've identified, people estimate, maybe even 90% of the Earth's orbit crossing asteroids. That leaves 10%. (laughs) Well, it's just, you wouldn't get in a car that had a 10% chance of crashing. Right. So this is a very low probability risk or, or event, but very high consequence. So that makes it in on the matrix of risk. It makes it about a medium. So the first thing is to make is to get U.S. Congress, especially, uh, to fund spacecraft look for asteroids. And then the second thing is to really plan to deflect one. And the key in real estate, it's location, location, location. In asteroids, it's early detection, early detection, early detection. So if you could find them, find one 20 or 30 years before its Earth orbit crossing path intersected our path, then you'd go out there with some technology, maybe a, a very a hammer. No, hitting it is probably not going to work. That's a cool, interesting question. You know. Uh, to take a break from this interview for a second, for the record, I was referring to NASA's hammer, which is the hypervelocity asteroid mitigation mission for emergency response. Remember that hammer we told you that they were going to build that was either going to bump into an asteroid or drop a nuke on it? I was referring to this, but Bill and I had a lot in his mind that night, and so um, I did not expect him to know exactly what I was talking about in that moment. However, let's get back to the interview. A mo-mo, am I saying it properly? A mo-mo, this asteroid that just oh, came slinging yeah. through? I may be mispronouncing it. Uh, Anyway, it was depicted as a a long, flat, or skinny, cigar-shaped kind of thing. If it really had that shape, that would suggest that it's probably a string of pearls. It's probably uh, what people call a rubble pile that's been stretched by the gravity of the sun and other bodies it cross paths with in our solar system. So if you were to hit an asteroid with a hammer, you'd probably only hit one of the pearls in the string of pearls. Instead, you probably want to deflect it either. We had this cool idea at the planetary side of, by hitting it with lasers right. that would be powered by 
sunlight uh, sunlight would drive solar panels which would make electricity for a laser which would ablate burn the uh, not burning in air with oxygen but cause the material to shoot off the surface of the asteroid and that momentum would give it a nudge it's a cool idea and then uh, astronaut Ed Liu uh, Cornell graduate uh, has, a, has a patent on an idea to have a spacecraft so massive, how massive would it be, that its gravity, its mutual gravity wow. would just give it a... And we're talking about being 20 or 30 years ahead of when it's going to hit the Earth. Right. So it's really subtle problem. You're trying to move an enormous rock. It's not so easy. Totally. Star Trek, you know, just beam it. It's not yeah. just with your beam. What's in the Point beam? Oh, I don't know. I don't know, but it's a beam. It's just a beam. Anyway, it's a cool idea. Cool. So this is something that's that's real. And then the other thing for us at the planetary side is finding life on another world. It would change the course of history. It would be amazing. It would, and change the world. Yes. Well, thank you so much. Thank uh, you. I really appreciate you Space, taking time. Space, but messier. It is, yeah. Carry on. It's it's messy There's out there. a sticker there. for you. A sticker? Do you have, seriously, do you have three? I I'm have, not joking you. Yeah. i got three girls that I've need to be four. serviced, uh, need to be able to get these. So cool. Also, you guys, Bill Nye likes our stickers. He does. <laughs> we have so many of them. I ordered like a thousand of them. So if you guys want them, uh, stay tuned on our Instagram page this week. We'll be letting you know how you can get some of these stickers yourself. And mm-hmm. if you'd like some more swag, our awesome logo, our podcast logo, we have printed them on shirts. And they're only $16 because we don't care about profit. We just want all of you to have a t-shirt. So go to our website. Um, there's going to be a shop tab up there. And check it out. You can get your own Space but messier t-shirt for 16 bucks. And you can be matching Bill Nye and his daughters. That's the logo. The sticker that Tony hands him is the one that has our podcast logo on it, the blue one. Um, and he thought it was cool. And so we're thinking of releasing some new designs and making a sticker pack. We will. Keep your eyes peeled. Spaceandmessier.com. So thank you, Vincent, my brother, who designed that awesome logo. Yeah, geez. Um, anyway, so we had an absolute blast at Yuri's night. Sitting there with Bill Nye and talking about planetary defense this man is passionate, guys, and nobody is going to stop him. So stay tuned. Join the Planetary Society. We are members, and it allows them to make all of this possible. If you join, um, I believe it's under like 40 bucks a year for a membership. It's unbelievable. Uh, you get a membership card. You get a T-shirt, and you get to aid the Planetary Society in saving the Earth from a potential civilization-ending asteroid. So Guys, check it out. It was really, really cool. It was awesome. And really, just get yourself to Yuri's Night next year. Keep your eyes peeled around April. Um, And whether you know a lot about space or you're like me and you're really along for the ride, it really gets down to just like an L.A. party. Um, It was so fun. You could tell that there was really people there that were just there for a good time and people were just dressed up and ready to dance. And so whether you know a lot and you're there to like meet people and talk to scientists and get in on the scientific aspect of it or you just want to have a really fun night at a silent disco at the California Space Center. And it's in L.A., which is right next to SpaceX and the Jet Propulsion Lab. Oh, yeah, we drove by the SpaceX. Yeah, there were JPL scientists there. There were guys from SpaceX there. Um, They all had their Occupy Mars t-shirts on. Guys, it was a blast. Come and be part of the Space But Messier outreach team next year. We'll be asking you, um, man, what a fun episode to put together. We thank you guys for allowing us to do this. Check out our Instagram and our Twitter for updates about new episodes, sticker packs, new t-shirts. We love you guys, and we couldn't do this without you. Thank you guys so much for all of your support. Um, And again... 
message us and co- leave comments on what you want for the next few episodes. Yeah, we've got some ideas, but let us know what you want. Um, and lastly, if you'd like to support us, you can donate $1 a month on our Patreon page, uh, which you can reach via our website, spacebutmessier.com, and that would be really, really awesome. So it's been a real good time. Uh, today we're signing off. This is Tony. This is Flo. And thanks for joining us as we set sail for the stars. You guys have a fantastic week. See you next Monday. Tranquility Base here. The Eagle has landed. Roger, Tranquility. We copy you on the ground. You got a bunch of guys about to turn blue. We're breathing again. Thanks a lot. That's one small step for man. One giant leap for mankind. That was definitely an e-ticket.